everyone and welcome to another episode of It's Everything. It's me, your hostess, B.B. Sweetbriar. And today is Sunday, November 1st. So I hope everybody had a wonderful and safe Halloween. I know there were tons of parties going around in the city here of San Francisco and of course across the nation. Uh, but I hope everyone had a nice, enjoyable time as well as a safe one. Today is going to be a very, very special um, episode of It's Everything because this coming Tuesday is Election Day on November 3rd. So I thought we'd spend some time talking about a few of the issues with one of one of my favorite people. Um, he is a political analyst and columnist for Gloss Magazine here in San Francisco. Sean Sullivan will join me to talk about a few of the measures on the ballot that pertain to San Francisco, as well as a couple of uh, uh, candidate races or political races here in this city. Specifically speaking, we're going to be talking about measures I or propositions I and propositions F. I and F will will definitely define what those are when we get involved with them. And we'll be going to talk about the sheriff race and the San Francisco College Board of Trustees uh, race. So those are the two or the four areas that we're going to go into as far as our political discussion here for the elections on November 3rd. So if you would just sit tight for a little bit, I'm going to take a little bit of a break. And when we come back, I'll have Sean Sullivan join me to talk about election time. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. Babe. I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. Well, 
thanks for staying with us. Up next, um, as I mentioned earlier in the program, we will be discussing some what I consider to be important measures on Tuesday's ballot and also important um, political races that we have locally here in San Francisco. And so I've asked a, a dear friend of mine as well as what I will say is a political expert uh, to join us here to talk about some of these things. Um, so I will like to bring Sean Sullivan to the show, who is um, the political columnist for Gloss Magazine. So, Sean, how are you? I'm terrific and excited to be talking with you today. Well, I'm so excited to... Um, have you on the program because I know um, you write about these um, types of political issues and political races all the time and I enjoy reading the things that you have to say because many times you talk about things that we sometimes uh, in the public kind of don't pay a lot of attention to you know some of the the little things Um, although you're fair on both sides of issues and both sides of candidates um, you, you definitely bring a different light to um, what we normally see when we read about these issues. Thank you. Well, we definitely, you. Have, we definitely have quite a few things on the ballot um, this coming Tuesday um, for our public to consider. And there are a couple that stand out in the measures department uh, in our propositions that I believe are very important. And I, I think you... Um, probably agree with me are, are hot on the hot on the plate right now. You know, people are on the fence on both of these issues on, on uh-huh. a lot. And and I'm talking about uh, Prop One, which is the the suspension of market rate development in Mission District, and Prop F, which is a short term residential rentals measure, um, which would basically put more restrictions on such places such as Airbnb in those um, residential rentals, um, short-term rentals. So let's t- let's tackle Prop 1, first of all, primarily because that's where I live. I live in the Mission oh, yeah. in San Francisco. And so de- definitely every day um, there are people talking in the area I live in about this, this particular proposition. And, um, you know, it's been heavily argued on both sides. Now, what the proposition generally uh, does for the public is it's it's asking for the suspension of um, development, both housing and business development in the Mission area for the next 18 months, or 18 months. Um, And um, specifically, why it's probably on the the docket is because um, we've seen so many um, people pushed out of either businesses because this, um, landowners want to utilize that space for something else, primarily multifamily housing, which is at market rate as opposed to affordable housing. Um, and we've also seen people being pushed out of their existing houses because, uh, because of, uh, of the lack of housing and the ability for them to get higher rents because of the, um, you just the, the market is just saturated right now. So, um, with people wanting to, to move somewhere, so um, so that's why this measure is on there. And um, but there are proponents to um, to this measure who are, are very um, strong and think that this is the answer um, to generating um, lower income housing for people in need of housing for now and in the near future. Um, now, the opponents, of course, disagree with that. So um, 
what, what is your take on this proposition um, as it stands now? Yeah. Well, thank you. So I think first, the major issue in this election, and it really weighs into both of these propositions, Proposition and I, is housing. Housing as lack of affordability, the amount of San Franciscans who are being displaced by gentrification and affordability. There's, the mayor's race is almost not a race because he's raised so much money, he's so popular, no one from the political community that has a name or is just want to take him on. Uh, the same with the district attorney race. Uh, so the, the action is to be found in these propositions, and these two specifically are, are sort of referendums on where people feel about the mayor, but also about the tech community, which has been driving up the cost so many people wanting to move into the city and can afford um, the, the high price of housing. We just saw this basic shack that was being listed. It really is so run down. It was listed for 350000 and sold for 408000 And, you know, you see things like that and think, how can um, anybody uh, that is not making six figures survive? And the mission uh, where you live in knows all so well are working class and immigrant communities for decades. Mm -hmm. And so, and how do we preserve that? How do we make those people that live in that community uh, be able to stay? Yeah, and I think that's what is the, the measure here. What you also see um, with both of these measures are that they try to vote on this at the uh, Board of Supervisors and it didn't, didn't pass there. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's why they're, they've been brought forward mm -hmm. uh, here. Uh, the affordability issue, it's really complex with this because I totally hear both sides, and I love me some David Campos supervisor representing that area, and I know you do too. The thing, of course, that is the concern is if you don't allow any building to go on there, is that, that doesn't allow for uh, new things to happen, not only there, but it, it may drive up the cost even more. Exactly. The, the supply in the rest is. of the housing in the city. Right. So, okay, now nothing is going to be built here. Well, then that means you know, five, six, how many other projects? Of course, they wouldn't come on, they wouldn't be ready in 18 months, but it just delays them that much more. Kink.com wants to do an event space. They would be held up uh, from being able to do that. And so uh, it's really uh, quite complicated. It's not just a simple uh, measure. The way the measure is written, because it is, it is dealing strictly with market rent, Housing, so things that are a hundred percent affordable housing or um, low-income housing developments are not affected by this measure. Uh -huh. The problem with development in San Francisco is that so much of the housing development that's going on now, multifamily housing development going out, is are being done with tax credit dollars. So. What that does is that even though the majority of the units in those developments are market rate, there uh -huh. is a smaller percentage of them. I think some of them, most of them are between 8 and 12% um, of those units are within those buildings are, uh, you know, low income or tax credit yeah. affordable housing. This measure would 
prevent those units from coming online. So, so you wouldn't have, say, a you know, a two hundred multifamily market rate building with potential of having twenty of those units being lower income would not be built. So we would, we would be taking away twenty units that potentially would go up from that equation. So I think that's what the argument from those who are opponents is the strongest argument because people don't realize, yeah, it's going to stop. It's going to stop the saturation of being, you know, of market rent units, which none of the low income people can afford to rent. So those units aren't even accessible to them. But it also is going to prevent that smaller amount of units that those market rent apartments provide. You know what I mean? So, exactly. Oh, I do. And that's, the, that's another real uh, issue in this is uh, people only see, and I, I totally understand uh, the attraction of people saying, oh, all these rich people, and they are buying up all these units, and they, are, they want to do these, these uh, luxury units, Right at, at uh, Mission 16th, and we have to stop that. But in doing so, we have a great progressive legislation in San Francisco that makes 10% or 12% of those markets, of those units affordable. So every time you do a project, you are bringing in more affordable units, and there's such demand. There's such demand for those units uh, that we continue to push people out by not allowing people the opportunity to get into those units as well. So yes, do the rich benefit? Uh, yes, in some way. But also, San Francisco is set up for um, equity uh, in inclusionary zoning uh, with these projects. So yes, you, you are hurting more affordable units coming online as well uh, by not allowing these projects to go forward. And again, you may also, if people can't build in mission, they may go to SOMA. But now since there's there's still only 50 minutes that come online, even at a market rate. Well, now those are more because the demand for them is even higher. Even higher, right. Yeah, this is one, this is one of those measures that's really um, not confusing, but I mean, it, it, it's I think it, it's definitely brought forth for the right reasons. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. one of those things where it, it, it's, it's coming from the right place, and you definitely uh -huh. see that. But then on the other hand, I also see... Um, from the real impact of how I see that I see that side. I used to be in housing for for, for many many years. I, I was in uh, speaking of uh, residential rent, uh, multifamily housing rentals. I, I did that for twenty years, and so I understand how difficult it is in San Francisco um, on to find affordable housing. But because of the mass amount of tax credit dollars that this city has held on to for years, for uh -huh. years, almost to the point where they've almost been forced to have to give them up for developers right now because there's so much that they have. And that's why you're seeing all this building right now is because there's so there's so many tax credit dollars from the federal and state level that we we have that um, that we just have to give it out. So some of some of this is coming on as far as this, this amount of building we have is 
basically been kind of created by the cities holding back these tax credit dollars year after yeah. year. And, um, and that's why it's so much. So I think it's more that the impact is hitting us so hard uh, because of so much building going on at one time. And that's, this is unprecedented how much building is going on uh, right. in San Francisco. And so uh, I, I think that more fear is, is kind of directing this measure a little bit more because it's, there's so much unknown of what's going to really happen in the next five years after the dust settles from all this building. But, um, yeah. you know, so I think people just really need to look at um, the impact of really w- taking these units or the potential of, de- of development happening. What really will we be losing more than what we will be gaining? And, uh-huh. um, and I, I hope people kind of look at that a little bit more than to think, oh, my God, I can't, you know, I'm not going to be able to afford to rent that particular unit. That's true. But you may not be able to you may not losing the uh, the ability to rent another unit that's in that development because exactly. it's not being, yeah it's not going to be built at all. So um, I don't. So it, I haven't even yet decided what I'm going to do when I go to the, <laughs> to the ballot because uh-huh. one of those one of those really complex issues that is going to take a lot of soul searching. I think for me anyway. Well, next up we were talking about was it was Prop F, which is the short term residential uh-huh. rentals um, measure, which is um, basically putting some restrictions on how many days that residential units can be uh, rented out as short-term rentals, as well as prohibiting short-term rentals to in-law units completely. Um, And I know a lot of uh, places here in San Francisco have those built in in the back. Airbnb has, you know, put a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths, um, particularly because you know, as I see it, I could be wrong, but as I have seen it, I've known people who have rental property in the Bay Area, in San Francisco, who used to rent them out to, you know, long-term rentals, you know, lease and everything with families or what have you, who have stopped doing that because of, because of Airbnb and they're able to, in their minds, make a hell of a lot more money and have a hell of a lot less problems by having those people come and rent them at these mega rents for short term. In 75 days, some of these people can make enough money and keep the rest of the time they, they can. I mean, really, that's that's about how lucrative it can be for some of these people. But, it's incredibly lucrative. Yeah. Um, but I know that the measure has a lot of support from people who are you know, having a hard time finding housing, uh, permanent housing. Um, they see this uh, Airbnb and these short-term rentals as, a, as, as, as an enemy to them. Um, so what's your take on this measure, and, and how do you see it? Well, I, I, I see it similarly that it is, again, about housing. By just the description that you gave, mm-hmm. it takes supply of housing off the market. And then drives up the existing uh, rent costs, which we see every quarter continue to go up in San Francisco, getting away from the new people who are able to uh, uh, come into our community and incentivizing the bad behavior that happens uh, by these landlords who are evicting people in mass. Uh, it also uh, just does exactly what you said. Uh, it makes it more attractive than uh, renting to do these uh, limited time rentals through Airbnb. And uh, it, it drives the costs all the way around. So that is uh, 
why we need some kind of intervention here. It didn't happen uh, as well at uh, the Board of Supervisors, so that's why it's on here. Um, it's, the, it's the type of regulation that we need. And, uh, you know, it's hard to defend Airbnb. I like the service. I've traveled around the world on Airbnb. Um, I think it's a great concept. But pay your taxes, seriously. Right. Uh, that right. is what yeah, they have bought. And, you're, talking uh, about the, you're talking about the uh, large amount of taxes that Airbnb um, did not pay over the initial years. And, yeah. Um, and then it was forgiven by the Board of Supervisors. Yeah. So because why not? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> do they forgive your taxes? If you uh, no pay? way. <laughs> <laughs> but, exactly. they, but millions of dollars from a uh, huge company uh, sure. You yeah. know, and that is part of, I think, uh, what is going on here, too, is that, you know, they have become, a, have a developed, rather, a cozy relationship, a lot of people feel, with the mayor. And the uh, investors in Airbnb uh, have a cozy relationship with the mayor and the majority of the board of supervisors. And and the average person doesn't. The average person doesn't get away with not paying their taxes or getting their taxes forgiven. Uh, at such a high amount. And we've seen uh, very recently the, I can't even, I can't even give it a, a, a proper adjective or adverb for describing the recent billboard campaign that oh they implemented where yes. they basically, uh, it's what San Francisco Weekly called a passive aggressive attack. The yeah. Dear SF or Dear Public Works, here's how to use our $12 million taxes. It's just dripping in condescension, and it's that attitude of, we know better, we don't like to pay our taxes. Oh, now you're going to make our pay our taxes. Well, we should be celebrated for paying our taxes, and here's how to use them. Mm. Well, they were just embarrassed by uh, an average citizen like you or I who spend some time doing the math when they lecture, hey, use the library, keep them open hours. It just counts a cents a day right. per library. Come on. Right. It's so condescending. And that is part of what I think for long-time Bay Area dwellers like you and I has been part of the issue with the tech community is they're having all these ramifications and they don't seem to care. They, they will apologize and say, oh, we're all about the community. Well, let's not forget those poor kids back in your neighborhood in the mission who were, uh, they tried to displace from the soccer uh, part of the park because they had a letter. They filled something out online, these Airbnb and Dropbox employees, and they came along, and it's on video. They're, like, taunting these kids and be like, we know better mm -hmm. over a park. They fought children. Yeah. And it, it's sort of, where does your privilege end? <laughs> you get all this money, and you don't, and you seem to think it entitles you to do whatever you want in this city. And you just got here yesterday. That, right. that's, that's never good neighborship, right? Right. Um, and you're having a huge effect on this city, both from your presence here, some positive, but a lot of negative. And if you never want to address that negative, well... And if government's not going to intervene, we have the ballot initiative process, and we as citizens are going to step up and be like, hey, we, your behavior never ends, your bad behavior. And we need to call you out on the damage 
the, the byproduct damage that is being done by your business model, by the high cost that it gets. We, we need to step in and intervene here yeah. um, as citizens. And I have to say, regardless of how I felt about it, I hate, hate, hate campaigns like the one they're running before these billboards even came up. This, this labeling up, it's too extreme. It takes away your rights. I mean, I guess a lot of voters don't get past sound bites, but ethically, I think it's gross. Mm-hmm. We, we, people don't have a lot of time. We all should pull these issues apart, but people don't do that, and even voters. Uh, San Francisco, thankfully, has a lot of intelligent, educated people, people who take this process and voting seriously. But a lot of people go like, oh, gosh, that's, which one was that? Oh, oh, that's the one that take away my rights. And that's what political, you know, uh, strategists do. Uh, but I, they don't have to. But it's sort of the lowest common denominator. And that's frustrating. And it's been used in San Francisco a lot more than I've seen in other Bay Area cities. It's bit too extreme. We all get extremism. This is not too extreme. This is really asking for proper regulation right. of a company that doesn't seem to care about its neighbors and that is having a uh, byproduct effect of driving up uh, the cost of rent and driving up, uh, the, or sorry, limiting the supply by people who say, oh my gosh, I could make $200 in that. Well, I think it also it also is an indicator because of support uh, or the, the 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 opponents of this, those who are uh, the homeowners specifically who are against this measure because this will definitely take away the additional income that they've been getting from you know these short term rentals of their home. I think it also talks to how how high the um, the purchase prices of property are too, and that people are are finding themselves. You know, we all know from a finance standpoint that people on paper look better as far as what they can afford than what they can actually afford. So, yeah. so even though a person may be making six figures in money, there there's still a limit to how much house they can buy with their salary based on all the other expenditures that we have to make in our lives from day to day. But on paper, it looks like, yeah, you can afford that, you know, $8 million home and, and so on and so forth. But then once you get in it, you find you got to find some ways to make some more money to pay that mortgage. So it kind of also speaks to me like uh, that with, with the homeowners are saying, no, this goes against our rights to do whatever we want with our property and to, you know, generate the income from our property the way we want to. But the reality is, is that it's not because they're making money so much is that they have to almost do it in order to afford the place that they buy, yeah. that they live in. Yeah. And so I think it even speaks to a little bit for you them to open your eyes and say, hey, this is not only a rental um, community issue. This is also speaking to how much expensive it is for you to buy property here, and then once you buy it, you can't really afford to keep it. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. So I, I absolutely. Yeah. So I think this really, you know, if, if um, homeowners look at this and say, like, you know, you know, this really tells us how much you know we've gotten ourselves in debt based on the prices of homes here, and now we're like finding any way we can to make ends meet through this. So, um, 
you know, I think, you know, I've known people, and I'm sure you have, I've known people who have had renters in their home, and once that renter has left, has now gone strictly to Airbnb being their, that extra room. And I've known people who have literally moved from an apartment that they were renting prior to their lease has been out and have airbnb that apartment. Um, yeah. and have kept that apartment to Airbnb it as opposed to, you know, we know those are loopholes and, and ways that people are getting around some of these things, but that just lets people know that this is a serious thing as far as taking away rentable markets to people who need permanent housing. Yeah. That's, that's kind of my case on that. So, um, well, we're going to take a quick break and then when we come back, um, we're going to talk a little bit about the a couple of um, uh, political races that are out there right now that are important to San Francisco. So we'll be right back. I'm Heclina. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for almost 20 years, and uh, over the past couple of months, I just opened up my club, Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now because the city has been changing a lot. I always had this attitude of, of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody, and that's just kind of the attitude and the, the uh, the ethics of Oasis is it's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know, you know, it's funny because I still need to, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true, you know what I mean? Like I walk in there and, and I go up to the bar and I go, oh, can I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like, I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be in a gay bar all the time, so you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. I, I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it, I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people. So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club, but I always like, like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it, you know what I mean? That's just always been my attitude. Um, just to entertain people, and so it seems like that works, you know. I would say to young kids, you know, just kind of form your own identity. And, uh, and you know, don't let others dictate how you should behave or think. Uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis. If you want to see drag, we've got that for you. If you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties, we have that for you. Spotlight on success and achievement. Brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. Um, and 
we just got through talking about a couple of measures, prop, um, prop I and prop um, F, and now we like to move into a couple of um, candidate type of races, and two of them are, are very um, big right now, and a couple of them are very, I mean, they're both kind of dear to me. I have some a friend running in one of them, and the other one's just had a lot of controversy set around it by, by its incumbent. But let's start with the City College Board uh, of Trustees election um, that is um, on the ballot on November the 3rd. And this one's kind of interesting because the board itself and the city college has had its own controversies built around it. What was it um, in 2012 where the state stripped the board of trustees from all of their power? And just recently over the, this year, the last eight months, I guess, eight months ago, gave the board, the board of trustees its power back. So, um... This is kind of a whole new resurgence of, first of all, now that college does have its accreditation, junior college has its accreditation again, and um, now the board has been um, restored its power. So a lot of newness, a lot of freshness is happening with this whole city college board and the city college in general. So there's a lot going on with this. So with all of that, of course, there's like quite a few people running for the available seat on on the college board but there's really only two that i think people are really considering as the strong candidates in it would you agree with that well you know i cover the lgbt candidates first and foremost in races uh, for gloss there are actually three candidates for community college board which wendy arrogant is uh running with a lot of teacher and neighborhood group support and uh, she's run before. Um, and then you have the incumbent, Alex Randolph, who has been on the job for all of six months as he was appointed by Mayor Lee. And then you have Tom Temprano, who is a former uh, Harvey Milk Club president, and uh, he is a very popular uh, candidate as well. Well, the, the, and the board, um, for the first time that I know of, currently has a chancellor, board of trustee as a chancellor and a vice ch- chancellor who are also LGBTQ yeah. people. So, um, wow. <laughs> um, yeah. And particularly with education, with, uh, that's, really, that's really a big deal. That's really a big deal. But these two are kind of, uh, come from different ends of the stick, so to speak. I mean, they're, 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 they are common in that they are both LGBTQ gentlemen, but... Uh-huh. Um, they do have different uh, philosophies in, in areas, and they are—they're different. They are different people, um, so their commonality definitely doesn't um, do a whole lot to dispel some of their differences. I guess. Um, um, what, how, how do you see these candidates as they are pitted against each other? Well, you know, I think you're—you're you're right that they are. You know, there's a commonality of the LGBT. But we we are much more than that as people and as a community, uh, and you see that in that's something I, I sort of spoke to uh, in my last uh, column. I'm, I'm happy to be a little bit Pollyanna mm-hmm. uh, and uh, wish that uh, people could reasonable people could uh, disagree and get a little more. But we have a lot of personality politics in the city, 
Uh, and the LGBT community is no different from that is you have uh, the Harvey Milk Club, which is a group with a, a long history of uh, economic justice as well as LGBT rights being at their the forefront. Um, and Tom was uh, the president of that club and uh, was a leader uh, and comes from that camp. And then you have Alex Randolph, who uh, came onto the scene, if you will, as managing Better Duffy's re-election campaign. Better Duffy, for eight years, was the supervisor representing the Castro. Um, then he went to work for Gavin Newsom when he was mayor and uh, is part of the Alice Topas Club, who... You know, none of these people could get elected in Idaho, let's just say that. Yeah. But um, they are, the, the Toklas uh, group is sort of seen as more uh, moderate uh, to business friendly uh, in the San Francisco landscape. I have had a trouble with this race in that I think they're both great people. I think they uh, both have all the, the right makings for great leaders and uh, really care about the city. All candidates in this race have come from community college, so um, they are not just people looking for an office, uh, and they are people who care deeply about community college. Uh, and it's not usually a political job uh, so much as supervisor or some other position, but because the board was stripped of their power a few years ago, and are just getting it back, it's getting... Uh, the attention it deserves. And so hopefully voters and sometimes with races like this down ballot don't vote in them so much because they don't know or they don't right. make decisions based on the same way with others. Here I think it's going to rely a lot on the slates of others uh, and what effort the mayor and his group put forth if his appointee. And I know he's done uh, a fundraiser with Lieutenant Governor Newsom for Alex Randolph. Well, Are they going to be that, putting uh, a lot of energy behind turning out their constituency? Right, and that and that's where I see a lot when I look at the two candidates, and and I kind of give you know look at. What, how they define who they are and how they approach issues. And definitely Tom is one of those people who he claims to be a person who can work well even with people who he doesn't agree with their politics. And, uh-huh. and, and in this city, I think that's very important because we do have that a lot. Um, even within people who consider to be themselves progressives, we have, like we say, some moderates and then we have some really you know, as we talk about the two different Democratic Party uh, clubs yeah. and how they represent. So that that's always important. But then again, you also have someone such as Alex Randolph, who really comes from a stronger uh, workings within politics more directly than Tom has in that he has, like you said before, worked for the mayor. He has worked for the governor or this uh, lieutenant governor, now lieutenant governor, but he's also worked with the Obama administration. So yeah. his 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 look at issues may come from a a broader picture. For instance, many times junior colleges, city colleges, um, become less concerned about state and federal issues as they pertain to education and really focus locally a lot of the times. And I think what City College has found is to some detriment is it was the state who took away their their power, took away or put their accreditation under investigation, all of those things. 
And maybe if we would have had more people in tune with the politics surrounding such an such a, a uh, an institution of education, that we may not have gotten in those situations. I'm just saying. Um, and so That's a really great perspective. That's and, a really great perspective. Yeah, and you know, and with Obama saying earlier this year that he wanted to make community college free. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you see that there's. There's discussions of community college at the federal level. Are we having those conversations at the local level? I'm not sure. So that's, uh, you know, perhaps he brings that perspective that we otherwise wouldn't have. Right. And, 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 you know, when you look at Tom, who's very grassroots in this whole campaign, he's been raising his money from a grassroots type of feeling. If you look at all his supporters, they are... Usually, they don't raise any higher in level than you know a supervisor from a um, political stand standpoint. Where Alex, of course, as you just mentioned, has kind of drawn upon some of the heavier hitters in raising money for his campaign because he has those connections. You know, he has the support of the mayor, of the lieutenant governor, of uh, Senator Leno. Uh, you know, he he's he's got a little heavier political backing behind him than, say, you know, Tom. So, I, so it's going to be one of those races, I think, I, like you said, there is the other candidate, but I definitely know it's going to be focused on these two guys. And, yeah. and you know, it's going to split a lot, as those two Democratic clubs do anyway. They already yeah. split, split up our community. This is going to be one of those that are definitely going to do that again, and we're going to really see... I'm, I'm going to be really um, interested in seeing how these two guys, what these two guys are doing on election day as far as trying to get constituents to get out there and vote. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, because I think it's going to take a lot of that. It's going to take a lot of, you know, forget about those who say they're supporting you. You need to really physically get those people to the ballot. And yeah. um, so I'm going to be interested in seeing how they're going to respond to, to that need on election day. Yeah, me too. I think it's all about about the turnout and what they're those campaigns are already doing with um, with getting absentees out. And I I'm so impressed by Tom's campaign because, like you said, he doesn't have people with the same heavy hitters. He's done a really good job in fundraising for a uh, for a down ballot race like community college. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Um, so good luck to. To um, both of them out there, really, and um, and um, and I'm just glad, as you mentioned earlier, that this race has the attention on it that it should, and I think um, it's good that education and you know is being put on in the front, in the forefront, and that we're going to be listening to the media all election day about this race, and that's, that's quite unheard of, particularly here that. Education, though important, never gets that spotlight, and this race is bringing some spotlight to that. So, um, so I'm really happy to just see that, you know, and the importance of community college and what it is for the city and any community in in, in general. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for listening. That was uh, Sean Sullivan again sharing his thoughts along with my own on the College Board of Trustees race, and hopefully you've got a little bit more things or information to to consider before you go to the polls here on Tuesday when it comes to the San Francisco College Board 
trustees race. Now, when we come back, we're going to take a little break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about the wonderful and controversial sheriff's race here in San Francisco. We'll be right back after this. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. Well, our next race, let's move on to our next one, and we can spend the rest of our time together talking about uh, our sh- our sheriff race. Boy, I don't even know where to start with this. I know. It's such a, just, it's such a has-been for the entirety of uh, the sheriff's term, like, uh, you know, embracing a porcupine. It's like, well, we're, we're it's just, it's so... Um, there's so much nuance into this uh, because of what happens. And I, if for those listeners that don't know, so the weekend that the sheriff was being sworn in, Ross Marikarami, um, his name I mispronounce all the time, so I hope I did that right. Uh, <laughs> his wife alleged that um, he had struck her. And the neighbor took a video of that, and then she later came out and said, no, he grabbed me as I was trying to get out of the car, and that's how I got the bruise. And then he went to anger management, and then and the mayor tried to oust him from his seat. That needed approval by the board of supervisors. In the interim, he placed uh, uh, Ricky Hennessy in that seat, and the board of supervisors, with a very narrow uh, vote, uh, let him keep his seat, let the sheriff keep his seat. And in our, every election since, those people that supported keeping him in his seat, there have been uh, campaigns using that vote as if they were supporters of domestic violence, as if they were anti-woman. Right. So, Thomas actually had receive some of that. Um, yeah, yeah, it was a huge issue um, brought up when we had the Battle of Davis last year, David Campbell mm-hmm. and David Chu running for uh, assembly. Ultimately, uh, David Chu uh, won that race. Very narrowly, but he did win it, yes. Very narrowly, yeah. And the outsider insider site groups spent a lot of money, many of whom were connected to the Texas community that we talked about earlier, investors in that, close with the mayor, used domestic violence as an issue when, of course, uh, everybody in this city, we're an involved population, we hope, and we all hate the idea of domestic violence or any kind of violence. Uh, we have the leaders on this issue. Uh, and yet, this is what has been used, uh, and so this is a situation that the uh, sheriff finds himself in, fighting 
uh, to keep the seat against a very capable, uh, very good candidate uh, from a family of law enforcement uh, that has done it pretty uh, well and proud for a long time. And, and we, I mean, I want to have to also add this to me, but, and she's a woman. And if the, yeah. if, and if the, the issue at hand for Ross is, you know, um, the domestic violence issue that, you know, women came out in droves when this thing came out for him. Yeah. I mean, and basically yeah. was almost demanding. I mean, I don't even know how much Mayor Lee wanted to suspend him um, as much as these women came out and said, damn it, if you don't, you might as well kiss your mayoral, you know, ship goodbye. Because we will not only get him out, but we're going to get you out when your time comes up. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. he, I, think, yeah. I don't even know how much he really wanted to do this, but had to make this political move um, because of the voices of those who have been victims of domestic violence who came forward and, and talked about this. It was in the media for months. For it, This went on for so long um, when yeah. it all came out. And now you have, like you said, a very capable person. I mean, again, the mayor doing something very... He appointed a woman to okay. as the interim sheriff um, at that time. And, and she's very capable, comes from, like I said, a law enforcement background. And, um, and you know, she graduated with what the first class where they had men and women going through the academy at the same time. She was the first one of the first classes. I mean, she, she, she fought the fight. You know, yeah. for women in law enforcement, and this that's going to be a very big deciding factor, I think, in in this race. Um, because I think on uh, you know, and we know Ross has had some other issues. People who she also has the backing of the Deputy Sheriff's Association. If you look at all uh-huh. the different people who are supporting these candidates, I don't see any on his list of supporters who are directly related to law enforcement supporting Ross. And that's always been the case because he's not one who's ever been on, so to speak, the front line. He he, he wasn't, you know, a gun-toting sheriff, you know, (laughs) a deputy. So, you know, he comes from an administrative background in this. And I know that, you know, a lot of these guys out there, they, they want somebody who's leading the helm who's fought the fought. And that's always been part of the issue that he's had with leading his, his group. He's, he's done so, but that has been his battle, part of his battle. Yeah. Vicky doesn't come with that. She doesn't come with that baggage. She, 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 she has that ability. She has that initial respect. She hasn't had to go in there and really, really work hard to earn it. You know what I mean? It's like she's already had a certain level of respect given to her just based on her background. And well, it's Ross, uh, he was, uh, was it the city attorney's office or the PA's office. He he went through the, the sheriff's academy training, so he had that. But he comes from a very populist background. Was a populist on the board of supervisors before he was elected to this mm-hmm. job, and came with a reform mindset. And you know, uh, you, the police organization are not groups that take well to reform. Mm-hmm. And so he never, even as a candidate, had any of that support. Um, and certainly with all the activities uh, and allegations that have gone on, has done nothing to gain them. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and then, uh, and a lot of that is about, a lot of this is about trust. 
you know, particularly with the, the officers that you are are leading. And, you know, so many people during the time that, um, you know, he supposedly pled guilty to um, the charges that were brought against him and the penalties in which he received for such would, would have been different if he weren't the person, you know, the sheriff, you know, so the, that favoritism that so many people are claiming that happened in, you know, the unjust penalty that he received, and I mean unjust in that it was favorable to him, um, uh-huh. and um, so, you know, where, you know, domestic violence in stressful jobs of any kind are not uncommon, you know, and um, the sheriff's department, law enforcement in general is a stressful job. So there are officers that are within the ranks that have had those issues, unfortunately, and they definitely do not get the slap, so to speak, on the hand. I'm going to put it out there and get the slap on the hand that Ross received. Okay, and I I know a lot of people are going, well, I don't care about magnitude of violence. Violence is violence. I don't care Uh if you slapped her 20 times or you slapped her once. Uh Violence, okay? Um, So that's where, you know, a lot of, well, you know, I grabbed her and our, you know, what what was the magnitude of it? I don't give a crap, you know. Um, as I have in some of the others that we talked about with the city um, college 
a board of trustees a, a race is because um, I, I just haven't been in tune so much with the law enforcement as much. But, you know, it just seems like with the things that I know are on the table as far as the issues, it, it, it almost appears as that a lot of people are already looking at Vicky. Vicky is a... Is, going to come out on the, on the, on the positive yeah. on, on this. And, um, and, you know, but we'll see, you, you just never know until election day, what's going to go on that, but this is going to be another good race to pay attention to. And I think the outcome though, on whichever way is really going to change the direction, um, uh, of the, the sheriff's department. And, um, I agree. And so the outcome of this is going to weigh heavily on what direction some of the, the um, you know, are we going to have a heavy cloud still over this department if Ross is reelected, or are things going to be wished away and we're going to really, you know, you talk about reform. I think because there was such a heavy cloud on his tenure that he hasn't been able to do anything in that area. You know what I mean? That, right. and, and we need to get that, we might need to get that kind of stuff away in order for whatever reform or whatever thing need to be done um, to get done because um, somebody in there that people trust or people feel comfortable with um, is now the leader. So we'll see how that goes. But thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Um, we've talked a lot. And of course, we're, we're talking, we're not definitely um, trying to come to any conclusions, but to actually just start dialogues, which people hopefully out there in the next, you know, two or three days are going to still be doing, because that's, that's the important thing, is people still need to be talking about these issues and, and, and helping decide these are important races. All races are important, but these are some important things that need to be cited for our community and, you know, we need to continue to talk to them until you put that check mark in your the box come ballot yeah. day. So, um, so I want to thank Sean. Thank you, Sean, so much again for Absolutely. coming. Absolutely, thank you. And, and I look great. forward, as always, to be in your company on any event or oh, any other great. thing out there. So, um, so take care and thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Okay, bye bye. I want to thank Sean Sullivan for joining me on the program today. I'm had so much fun talking about all the important, well, important issues according to what we wanted to designate as that, and that is uh, Proposition 1I, excuse me, I want to call it Proposition 1 for some reason, Proposition I and Proposition F. Uh, Proposition I dealing with um, um, holding back or um, the, the construction of both multifamily and business development in the Mission District and uh, Proposition F, of course, um, deals with, we call it the Airbnb uh, measure, uh, which gives some restrictions on those who are short-term renting rooms and real estate, you know, personally. So uh, those are two important measures. And then, of course, we talked about the sheriff's race and the actual uh, school board or college board trustees race. Um, so hopefully you got some information there and thought, you know, maybe we talked about some stuff that you didn't even consider um, uh, before you go ahead to the ballot box and cast your vote. So do remember that November 3rd is uh, election day and hopefully you've got the information on where in your area you need to vote. You also have the opportunity of doing an absentee ballot, ballot as long as it's postmarked by Tuesday and received by the city 
uh, no later than Friday, you should be fine. Or you can just go ahead and drop that ballot off um, at the city hall. And there are different boxes across the city where they will be taking those. Or you can take your ballot and take it to your normal polling place. So there's some options for you. So there's no excuse for you not to have your vote counted and your voice heard on Tuesday, November 3rd. Until next week, I'm going to say goodbye. This is B.B. Sweetbriar on It's Everything. We are the Sunday segment of the Michelle Meal Show. And I hope that you have a wonderful week. Bye-bye.